last week we looked at Samuel's resignation, all right? Um, He didn't get much of a retirement, though. Uh, Tonight we're going to see him back in action again and back uh, being used of God uh, again. Uh, But what we did see happen was we saw Saul established on the throne, and God established Saul on the throne by giving him uh, a great victory over the Philistines. And the Philistines were never able to go against uh, Israel again all the days of Samuel's life, which is kind of uh, interesting because it wasn't Saul that was the victor, it was Samuel that was the victor, and Samuel uh, that brought the victory or, the, or, or that God touched the earth through. Now, we're going to look at some tough stuff tonight because what we're going to look at is we're going to look at Saul getting dethroned. He's just been throned and now he's going to get dethroned. And um, we're going to look at how God does that and why God does that. And remember, the, the heart of our study on a Sunday night is what? What do we want? Ask me a question. Okay, I understand. We want to know God better, don't we? We want to know how God works. And we're going to look at some things that we're going to have to grapple in our minds with tonight because they're hard things uh, to take about God, but important things that we actually take on board and understand. You see, a correct theology is a right picture in your mind of who God is. Right? It's not about some course that you take in a, in a university or a college. Uh, it's about the picture uh, that you have of God in your mind, who he is. If you have a picture that's wrong, it's not God, it's an idol. Okay, so what we need is we need a picture of who the living God is. And we need to grapple with the reality of that from the scriptures and take on board, take that on board, whatever, whatever it costs us to do that. We have to take on board uh, who this God that we serve is, all right? So First Samuel chapter 13, that's a word of prayer, and then we will begin to look at our scripture. Father, would you help us tonight? We are desperately in need of understanding of you. And yet, Lord, sometimes it's hard for us to actually take on board uh, what you do and how you do it. Lord, would you bless us tonight, Lord? Give me wisdom and what's said. And Lord, give your people, Lord, your spirit that they may uh, take on board uh, truth and understand who it is that you are. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so 1 Samuel chapter 13. Saul has been established on the throne. Samuel has resigned. And in 1 Samuel chapter 13, we find Saul reigned one year. And when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose him 3,000 men of Israel, whereof 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and in Mount Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. And the rest of the people he sent every man to his tent. And Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was at Geba, and the Philistines heard of it, and Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard say that Saul had smitten the garrison of the Philistines, and that Israel also was had an abomination with the Philistines, and the people were called together after Saul uh, to Gilgal. And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots. Now, uh, let's talk about their army here for a second. Uh, 30,000 chariots chariots would be comparable to 30,000 tanks, I suppose, today, right? Because chariots were, you know, they were the, 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 the top... Uh, soldiers, they were the top flight guys, they could, they could ride into the crowd and they could decimate a crowd. So 30,000, now did you notice back in, in verse 2 that Saul, um, Saul had 3,000? Right, so he has 3,000 of a standing army and um, now he's up against 30,000 chariots alone, right? 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude, and they came up and pitched in Michmash eastward from Beth-Avon. This is a terrifying army. This is the Philistines deciding that what they're going to do is they're going to uh, pay Saul back for what God did to them uh, sometime before. Right? They're, going to pay the, they're going to pay Saul back for, for the great victory that God uh, allowed him to take over them sometime before. It's not going to work. We're not going to actually cover the part where it doesn't work, but it's not going to work. They're not going to actually take over again. Uh, God's not going to let them, right? Uh, and when the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were di- distressed, then the people did hide themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks and in high places and in pits. You know, the people haven't learned yet that it's God that fights for them. Remember, they wanted a king. They wanted a king who would go out before them, sword in hand, and lead the charge, and they would have a victory. They had always had victory whenever God went out before them. And and they could still have this victory, but, you know, what they're doing now is they're looking at the army that's coming against them. They're looking at their king and his army, and they're saying, 
We can't win this one. We're finished. We're going down this time. So they are terrified and they are hiding themselves. <coughs> and some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgan, and all the people followed him trembling. And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So here's Saul's problem. Saul is facing this enormous army that he has no possible way, humanly speaking, of actually defeating. And his people, while he's waiting, because Samuel has told him, I want you to wait seven days, I will come, I will make the sacrifice, and then go into battle, right? Now, remember back to the last time they had to go to battle against the Philistines. How did the battle go? Samuel prayed, and the Lord destroyed the Philistines. And then Israel went in and took up the battle when they were already on the run and Israel won the day. Israel took the victory. That's how it happened. Now, that's what needed to happen again. Right? That's what needed to happen. This needed to be a God thing. And so God had told Saul to wait for seven days through Samuel. Saul's problem, though, is, you know, he looks out and he's got, we'll say, all of Israel's come to him, and we'll say there's 50,000. I don't know how many there were offhand, right? We'll say there's 50,000. Where he wakes up, you know, he wakes up on Monday morning and there's 50,000 men there. They're all terrified, quaking, shaking at their knees. He comes out and he looks on Tuesday morning and there's 40,000 men. He comes out on Wednesday morning and there's 30,000 men. And he, so on through the week that his army's getting scattered. His army's kind of running away, and he is panicking. And I haven't got any chance anyway, but if I don't go to battle soon, I'll have nobody to go to battle with me. I'm going to, I'm, you know, it's going to be a, a, an absolute rout. And so he is panicking, and the people were scattered from him, and he had been told to wait seven days. And in verse 9, and Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me, and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offerings. You know what? He didn't wait. He said, Okay, I can't wait any longer. This is, this is the time. He should have come by now. This is the time. He hasn't come. And so Saul did the work of Samuel on this occasion, and he offered the sacrifice. Now, he didn't realize it. And oftentimes we don't realize, we don't realize it either. He was actually being tested. Could God depend upon him to obey? Could God depend upon him to wait? He didn't know. He didn't realize. He didn't understand that. So look at the next verse. And it came to pass that as soon as, now catch that because God doesn't use words lightly. As soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him that he might salute him. And Samuel said, what hast thou done? And Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattered from me and that thou camest not within the days appointed, it's your fault, you were late. We're going to see that again and again with Saul. It's It's always going to be somebody else's fault. That's a bad trait. Uh, that's a bad character flaw uh, to have in us that we always have to find somebody else to, to, to blame. Um, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. Therefore said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore. My poor me. I had to force myself. I didn't want to do it, Samuel. I really didn't want to do it, but I had to force myself to do it. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly that thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now the kingdom shall not continue. Thy kingdom shall not continue. For the Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. All right, so there was a test here uh, for Saul. The test was, wait until Samuel comes. Right? Saul is looking at the people, he's looking at the Philistines, he's looking at the people, he's looking at his army dwindling, and Saul decides, listen, forget that. I've got to go into battle, I've got to do this, Samuel hasn't shown up yet, and you know what, this is getting worse and worse. And so he goes and he offers the sacrifice, and just then, around the corner walks Samuel. It was a test. Do you know that God wants you to obey him? Do you know that? That God wants you to obey him. Now, sometimes when I, when I say that, you, 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 in your mind you go into a spin, you say, oh man, what have I got to do? What have I not got to do? And so no, it's very simple. What you're supposed to do, what the Lord wants you to do, you actually know. You know the Spirit of God is a great communicator. 
He is actually great at, at getting through to us what he wants us to do. The problem is not that we don't hear him. The problem is not that we don't know. We always know what we're supposed to do. If you had asked Saul five minutes before the sacrifice, Saul, now what are you supposed to do? Well, Samuel said, I'm supposed to wait for seven days, and then he's going to come, and he's going to offer the sacrifice, and then we'll go into battle. He knew it. He just didn't obey. He just didn't do. What he did was he looked at the circumstances. He looked at the army. He looked at the, the time passing away in his own army. fleeting. And you know what? He went and he took and he offered the sacrifice. And you and I say, hang on, big deal. I mean, come on. Obviously, it was a big deal with God. Now, notice what God says, though. Um, what Samuel says to him in verse 14. And now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. Now, what would it be to be a man after God's own heart? David's going to be that man we know. But what would it be to be a man after God's own heart? In the, in the context of this, it would be a man who will do exactly what God wants you to do. That's what, God, that's what God wanted from Saul. You know what? Saul didn't have to win this battle against the Philistines. God never expected him to be able to win the battles against the Philistines. That was God's job. Now, Saul would end up getting glory from it from the people. He couldn't help that. But God would always fight the battles for Israel. All Saul had to do was obey. Remember Joshua? Joshua was given the task of clearing the land of Israel so that the nation of Israel could take over the land of the Canaanites and all the rest of those tribes that were there. And when God commissions Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, it's absolutely fascinating. God doesn't give him a physical fitness program that he's got to follow religiously so he can get strong and one for the army that they can get strong. He doesn't send them special trainers to train the army. In fact, he doesn't tell... Joshua anything about fighting. He tells Joshua, I want you to be strong and very courageous to do all that I have commanded you. I want you to do everything I told you to do because Joshua, then shalt thou be successful. You're going to be a winner, Joshua, if you actually do what I told you to do. See, a man after God's own heart is a man that does what God wants them to do. In fact, God's going to tell us later on about David that David was a man who not only would do what God wa <clears throat> wanted him to do in, in terms of commands, but he wanted to know what God wanted to do. He wanted to know God's heart and do what God wanted. David was kind of looking at, and you know, that's what God's looking for from you and I. He doesn't need us to be great. He doesn't need us to be wonderful. He doesn't need us to be clever. He doesn't need us to be powerful. He just need us, needs us to be people after his own heart, to be able to say, who say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Or whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Now look, you know what? That's straightforward and simple, isn't it? That is straight. The, the biggest obstacle to me obeying God like that is, you know what? Uh, <clears throat> I have a will of my own. I want to do my own thing. But now I need to surrender my will to his will and do what God would have me to do. Now, let's talk about the test just for a moment, and then we're going to move on to chapter 15. Right? <clears throat> the test here was wait. Have you noticed how often the test is simply wait? Just wait. But, but Lord, I need it right now. No, 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 just wait. But, but Lord, I, I, I have to make it happen right now. Lord, this is the time. You've you got to understand. <coughs> no, just wait. God says wait, wait. We don't like waiting, do we? Oh, boy, we don't like waiting. We want to make it happen. And, you know, we're very like Saul in this one. Yeah, you know, hey, seven days. Look, I mean, I, it's the seventh day. He didn't come. What, what, what was I supposed to do? Did you ever ask that God that question? What was I supposed to do? I, you know, what did you expect me to do in this situation? I'd done everything. I'd done what, I, what, I, what you told me to do. I'd waited seven days. He just didn't wait. And really, in the context of what it's saying here, if he'd waited a few more minutes... He would have saved his kingdom. Isn't that terrible? For the sake of a few minutes, he lost his kingdom. How long are you supposed to wait for God? Until he says the wait's over. That's how long. God's in the waiting game. God's in the making us wait game. You see, <clears throat> the Bible says one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. Really, time doesn't bother God. 
It matters to us, though. And God, because it matters to us, uses it greatly in our lives. And he makes us wait. And he says, no, just wait for me. And you know what sometimes we do? We say, okay, I couldn't be bothered, but we do a saw alone, don't we? And we always lose. We always lose. We always lose when we make it happen ourselves and we kick God to the curb because we're going to make it happen because we can't wait any longer. And you know what? Every one of us have done it. Every one of us have done it and regretted it. You know, we didn't get the green light from God. We didn't get the go-ahead from God. It wasn't of God. It was of us. We did it. And if we'd waited, it could have been so different. I saw two thoughts we're looking at from chapter 13. Saul lost the kingdom because he didn't wait. That was the test. But more than he didn't wait, not waiting proved that he was not a man after God's own heart. And remember, God was looking for a man that he could think the thought and put it in the man's heart and the man would actually do it to lead Israel. Israel is very important to God. Israel is not just any old nation. Israel is the nation the Messiah is going to be born through. Israel is the nation God's going to reach the world through. You know, it's a very important deal with God. And he wants a leader who's going to actually be somebody he can say, you know what, Saul, here's what I need you to do. He wants a leader. God wants to still rule leader, rule Israel, but he wants to rule Israel now through a man, through a king. But you know what? A king that won't wait and doesn't have his heart is not a king that God can use. And God's not able to use him. And so he tells him he gets dethroned here. Right, now skip over with me to chapter 15 because it's not over yet. You get the sense, in fact, from chapter 15 that, <clears throat> you know what? <clears throat> if Saul had straightened up at this point, things might have been different. Right? <clears throat> you just get that sense. But we come to chapter 15, and we're dealing mainly with what God is doing with Saul. But in the midst of all this, we're going to have a difficulty that we have to face up to and square off with, right? And it'll take us a few minutes to deal with this, uh, this conundrum, this difficulty. And we're going to have to deal with it. And we're going to have to take on board who God is in this chapter. It's one of the, 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 the most terrible chapters in the Bible, because of what God does in it, right? And he does it so clearly. And it's one of those chapters that makes us kind of real. Now, what you can do is you can say, oh, I don't like that chapter. Uh, and in your devotions, you never read First Samuel chapter 15 because uh, you don't like that chapter, right? And we do that sometimes. I've known several people that have done that, right? But you know what will happen then? What will happen then is you'll have a picture of God that doesn't include all that God says he is. Now, we live in the 21st century, we live in the age of grace, we live in the church age, and it's easy for us to say, yeah, well, that's the way God used to be. God didn't used to be anything that he isn't still today. He is the immutable. That's the theological term for unchanging. He never changes. You can depend upon God to be the same God today as he was back in 1 Samuel. You can depend upon God to be saying, he hasn't changed. You know, he hasn't matured. He hasn't kind of softened. He hasn't kind of grown up as God and left some of his harsh ways behind him. He, he, he hasn't. He hasn't changed. Right? And here's the thing you've got to remember, that if you want to kind of look at God as though, well, you know what, he kind of cleaned up his act, and he's doing better than he used to do in the Old Testament because he was pretty rough then. Uh, if you, and then you come to the book of Revelation, what God's going to do in the future, it's much worse than anything we see in the Old Testament. He hasn't changed. He does deal with us in different ways in different times, but he hasn't changed. This is the age of grace. All right, now having said all that, you're probably uh, are wise already to where we're going with this, but let's, have, uh, uh, let's go to our difficulty, and then we'll deal with Saul, right? <clears throat> so 1 Samuel 15 and verse 1, Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he had laid wait for him in the way when he came up out of Egypt. Right? And God had cursed Amalek at that point and said that he would destroy him for it. That's way back. God had them build a monument to remember that Amalek was going to get destroyed. When Israel was vulnerable, Amalek went after them, and God had cursed them and said he was going to destroy them. <clears throat> Verse 2. 
Verse 3, now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. That is an incredible command, isn't it? To our thinking and to our way of thinking, that would definitely get you in a a court at some point uh, because we would call that genocide. Now, and that's what it was. You can't put a different name on it, really. That's what it was. Now, so, so, so let's think it through. Let's grapple with this here because uh, I don't want you to go away uh, with a wrong idea. Here's what I've done. I've read lots of, lots of um, commentaries on that. And commentaries are great. Now, and, and, and almost all the commentaries do this, right? They come to this part of the passage. And what they will do is they will try and explain why God was right in doing this. They will try and explain, you know, well, these people were a wicked people and they were going to continue to be more wicked. So, you know what? It was actually merciful to God wipe them out on the spot the way he did. Which may be true. My only problem with all the explanations, and they vary greatly, is this. God doesn't give any explanation. God doesn't give any explanation. He doesn't make any excuse. You know, and he doesn't try and rationalize it for us. And He just states it as blunt fact. He just states it as blunt fact that um, he he told Saul to go and destroy Amalek, wipe them out completely. And we could look at all the reasons why that was a good idea, but God doesn't give us any of those. He just gives a command. He gave a command and he was very upset that it wasn't followed exactly as he had given it. Right? Now, so... Who is this God? Is this the same God of love that we find in the New Testament? Is this the God that loves us? Yes. This is, the, this, is this God. And we have to understand that he is not too, you know, he's not a Jekyll and Hyde. He's one God. He is one God. He is the God of love. And he is the God of justice. And he hasn't kind of put justice behind his back so that we can think of him as a God of love because he wants us to, uh, to like him. He hasn't done that. His justice and his love are both important to him. And they don't negate each other. Never does his love negate justice and never does his justice negate his love. Right? <clears throat> now, so what are we going to say about this? What are we going to do with this thought? This is who God is. God, for reasons. Best known to himself completely, had decided that Amalek was to be destroyed. It was to be wiped off the face of the earth. Now, he didn't decide it should be wiped off the face of the earth because of an affront to him directly. He decided it should be wiped off the face of the earth because of an affront to Israel. Particularly because what they had done is they had, at a vulnerable time, attacked Israel when Israel really wasn't ready or able to defend themselves. And God had decided that they would be wiped out for that, that they would be destroyed for that. Now, <clears throat> let me ask you some questions. And I, I know it's Sunday night, but I need you to answer me anyway, right? Is revenge always wrong? Is revenge always wrong? Now, think about it here. What does the Bible say? Pardon? Vengeance is mine. Revenge or vengeance is always wrong, except when God does it. And do you, do you understand that, that we're not to take revenge on people, that when people do you wrong, you're never to go after them and sort them out and, and um, <clears throat> take, you know, uh, take revenge in the situation? Never. You're not to do that. Not ever. Right? But do, do, do you understand what God says there? God says, don't you take revenge because vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Now, what does that mean? Is, that, is God just saying to you when somebody does you wrong, you know, <clears throat> he wants you to leave it alone, don't worry about it, and forget about it. Just forget about it. No. He'll deal with it. What he's saying is, I will take it on and I will deal with it. I will sort it. Now, <clears throat> you could actually take it like there's a promise there that God will deal with it. That God will take and God will... Do you realize that God is actually concerned 
about the hurts that you bear in your life, about the wrongs that people do you. God's actually concerned about those things. God, God doesn't just look at, look at you and say, ah, oh, get over it. He he's actually concerned about the wrongs that people do you. And God says that he will deal with it. And he wants you to leave it with him and he will deal with it. He doesn't want you getting bitter about it. He wants you to leave it with him and he will deal with it. And when it came to Israel being so, <clears throat> so badly treated by Amalek, God said, I will deal with it. And now God says it's time to deal with it. And God's not ashamed. God's not hiding. God's not, you know, um, you know uh, trying to soften the command. God's not trying to make himself look good. He just sends out the command. Go deal with this thing. Destroy this thing. Destroy this people that have offended. Right? <clears throat> now, and, and, and that's tough to get your mind around. That's tough to actually work your mind around to think, do you mean that God said, go kill all the children? That's what the verse says. That's what the verse says, and you can't really, you know, you can't take and, and use the Hebrew uh, to, 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 to remove it. It's there. It's in the verse. God said, go destroy all of them. Go take all of them. Right? Now, you know, so we look at that and we say, oh, well, hang on a minute. That's a piece of the, a piece of the jigsaw puzzle of my theology that I really haven't gotten down yet. I don't really see God in that light. I don't actually care to see God in that light. I would much prefer to see God as a God of love. Right? And I understand that. I feel like that too. I, I, you know, I feel like I want to kind of gloss over this and say, okay, well, yeah, you know, they probably deserved it or there's some, something I don't see there and so on. Uh, and, and that's definitely true. But the reality is God issued the command and God is just and righteous. Because God issued the command, it was a just and righteous command command right now it's essential that we take this on board right let me give you two reasons why if we were to go to the book of revelation and if we were to take the time tonight to follow our way through the book of revelation here's what we would find we would find god pouring out judgment upon the earth by that time he's pulled the church out of the uh, out of because we're not under condemnation but you know what the world, the rest of the world, stands guilty before God, and he begins to pour out judgment upon the world. And what we'll find is we'll find a quarter of the world will die, and then a third of the world will die. And what God is doing is he, he is just decimating the world. If you think the Amalekites was bloodshed, you know, what God's going to do in the book of Revelation is absolutely mind-blowing. Nobody could portray in a film what's going to happen in the book of Revelation. It's, 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 it's too horrific. And, you know, we understand this, that what's happening right now is God is long-suffering. In other words, God is a righteous, holy God who wants to judge sin always. But what he's doing is he's holding back on judging because he wants man to get saved. So he's giving people opportunity to get saved today. He's given people opportunity to come to him and to trust him as Savior, to be transferred from Satan's kingdom into his kingdom, to become his children. That's what he's doing. So he's holding back judgment. But there will come a day when he will say, Holding back is over in his time. And then he will pour out wrath on the world for seven years. He will pour out wrath that will make the rivers run red with blood. And God will, what he will do is he will, he will exact judgment and justice. And we've got to accept that from him. We, we can't sanitize God and make God this God of love who doesn't do that. You know, because that's, that's not true. If we try and sanitize God like that, we end up portraying an idol. Not God. Does God love people and want them to get saved? Is it legitimate for us to say that today? Yeah. But you know, we can't, we can't you know, absolve God from the fact that, you know what? If they don't get saved, he will pour out judgment on them. That's the first reason. Judgment is coming in the... Uh, in the, in the um, <clears throat> Uh, during the time of tribulation. The second reason is this. What about hell? Have you thought about hell recently? 21st century people don't like thinking about hell. Do we? I'm not sure anybody's ever liked thinking about hell. But, you know, for, for, for a huge portion of, uh, of man's history, hell has been a reality of life that they've kind of people have been concerned about hell. Our generation is not concerned about hell. Uh, the church is not particularly concerned about hell. 
Now, now here's, here's what's happened. We've sanitized everything, haven't we? You know, we've sanitized everything. There's no such thing as capital punishment anymore. Uh, have, you, have you ever watched um, something from uh, the 50s where somebody commits murder and that somebody will say to them, you're going to hang for that? Now, that's, that's not generations ago, folks. That's, you're, you're looking at 66 years ago. That was just the way of life. If you committed murder, you were, you were going to hang for it. That was the reality. That was England. That was Ireland. That was, but we've sanitized everything, haven't we? That doesn't happen now. That kind of thing doesn't happen. You know, <clears throat> you know uh, we're not bloodthirsty like that. Right? <clears throat> um, even if you look at our wars, I mean, <clears throat> war's always been a gruesome, bloodthirsty thing. But you know what you see now? You see missiles and you see bombs and... You know, rarely do you see people getting up close uh, in the action with swords and, and knives the way they used to. And so, you know, you know it's all kind of, it's, it's, it, it, it's different. We've sanitized it all. And we're, we're not used to the idea of, uh, of blood. And we're not used to the idea of judgment. You know, we wouldn't accept this kind of judgment at all. What we would do is, you know, we would have appeal after appeal after appeal. And we just wouldn't accept this. And, and what we've done is, you know, you know, our psyche, our thinking, our minds get into, a, get into a certain place where we think, well, you know, that's the way it is. It's, you know, it's, the way we, it's the way we've made it to be. First of all, it's very recent that it's become like that. Second of all, we're a very strange generation. We've never seen a war. And you talk to Val's mom, she, she remembers the hard days of the war. Talk to my mom, you remember the hard days of the war. They weren't actually in the war. Uh, her dad fought in the war. Uh, but, you know, everybody was affected by the war. The war kind of put this... Everybody knew about the war. We, we've never experienced that. Oh, yeah, we've seen some things happen, you know, over in the Middle East and so on, and we've seen that kind of thing. But we've never experienced a war. And so we really don't reckon on how hard things can get. We don't reckon... Now, listen, I don't want it to get that hard. Neither do you. But we need to understand that what we're living in is this lovely low. This lovely low where things are nice and quiet. And, and because we're human beings, we think what we're experiencing now is what will always be. Isn't that the way we are? When it snows in December, don't you feel inside yourself this is the way it always is? You know, <laughs> you know on a snowy day in December, you can't remember... You can't, under, you, 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 you can't visualize a sunny day in June because it feels like that's the way it always is. And in a sunny day in June, you can't really visualize what it would be like to be in the snow and the cold. You're in your T-shirt. You can't visualize what it would be like to be out with the snow coming down on you. We're just like that. Whatever's happening for us right now, that's the way we kind of feel about it. Now, we need to understand, you know, <clears throat> the reality of life is very much different to the, what we see right now. And when God judged the Amalekites, they were wicked, they were wrong, and God said, it's time, and he judged them, and he was righteous, and he was just in doing it. And we may have a hard time with it, but we have to accept it, because he's God. See, God doesn't care what we think of him in the sense of he's not trying to curry our favor and make us think he's a nice God. Have you noticed that? He really isn't bothered by that. Now, he loves you and he wants you to love him, but he's not doing anything to curry your favor. He's not a bit insecure. And you know, when he, when he gives a command like this, he lays down the command. He puts it out there and he does it, and he doesn't even hide from it. You know, <clears throat> he, do, he doesn't do what Saul did and say, well, somebody else is responsible for it. He doesn't even make the Amalekites responsible for it. He says, no, that's it. Here's my command. Right now, are we getting this? Let, let me do this tonight. Let me ask you, do we have questions on this, right? I'm probably putting my head in the, in, in, in the lion's mouth. Uh, but I really want us to kind of come to the place where we just grapple with this and accept this. I'm not asking that you go, go, go away and think of God all the time as being this God uh, who rains down slaughter on people. I am asking that you accept that he does that too, though. All right, any questions? Are we wrestling with it in our souls or are we actually able to take it on board? Let me ask you this. The next time you come to 1 Samuel chapter 15, will you read through all of it and say, yeah, well, 
Because it's important that you do. It's important that you actually take that on board. Anya? Okay, okay, it's a good question, right? It would be illegal for us to do that right now, so you know, that, that we're not going to do that, right? Uh, that, that's, that's never going to be legal for us to do. Israel is a different deal than, you've, and, uh, than any nation that's ever been. And you've got, you've got to make it that. The world doesn't work unless you make Israel different than everybody else. Right? And Israel was God's people. So when God gave a command, Israel were his arms and hands to actually do it. Now, so, no, you know, Ireland is never going to go to war and slaughter England or whatever. That's, that, 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 that would always be wrong. Uh, okay, um, but, but understand this, that God still does judge. Now, judgment is waiting till the end. That's the, the major judgment, but God still does judge. And you still see um, peoples getting decimated by plagues and so on. You know what? God still does it. And God doesn't go up in heaven and say, oh my goodness, how did that happen? God accepts responsibility for everything that happens in his world. Because he can stop it and doesn't stop it. And so he allows... Now, it's not very profitable for us to try and work out how and why he's judging people. That doesn't help us. But he still does. Right? Anybody else? So that answers your question. Oh, yeah. No, we're not going to do it. God was using a, a, a particular instance in a particular nation to do this. Okay. No, you wouldn't say that. You, you couldn't say that, right? Remember, uh, here's a classic example of it. Um, the blind man is blind, right? And the disciples come along and say, who did sin? This man or his parents uh, that he was born blind. Now, Jesus, here's what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, well, you know what? It's not God's fault that he's blind. It's just sin. He doesn't do that. He said, no, he said this. He said, this man was born blind that the glory of God might be shown in him when he was healed. So what Jesus said was, Jesus said, yeah, I, I take responsibility for it, but here's the purpose for it. And he was able to... Now, we're not Jesus. We can't identify what he's doing all the time. <clears throat> Sometimes he shows us, but we can't... So, you know, you see a tsunami uh, that comes, and all these people die. Well, the good, the bad, and the indifferent are all swept up in this tsunami. There's no way that you can say, oh, yeah, they were all evil people. That's, that's not yours to say. You don't know. By the way, what should our response to a tsunami be? Help. That should be, that should, that's our response. Our response is, we, we, we don't know. We're not in, in with God in terms of what he's done. So our, our response should, should be to help. We're going to help with it. But we need to understand that, listen, God would not, you know, if the Lord Jesus was to stand here today and we were to ask him about the tsunami, he would not say, well, you know what, guys? I didn't see that earthquake coming in the sea. No, he would say, yeah. I know. Nothing has ever happened in God's world that he wasn't responsible for. Now, can I work out how all that works? No. Now, why can't I work out how all that works? Because I'm not God, and I'm a finite, tiny little mind, and he's an infinite God. So that what he's doing, you know, there's no way I could work out all the angles. Even when it comes to the Amalekites. I could try and work out the angles. I could try and work out because the evil God did this to them and that will be true. I could try and work out, you know. But I don't know because he's an infinite God. I do know this. He's a just and righteous God. So if he did that, he would be just and righteous. Right? <clears throat> now, that, that's where my faith comes in. Did you have your hand up? Yeah. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that, uh, <clears throat> yes, is the short answer, right? <clears throat> um, <clears throat> you know, if you look at Hitler and his reign of terror, I, I think reasonably we could say, you know what, Satan was trying to put his man uh, in place. He was trying to put the, trying to put the Antichrist in place there. I, and I think we could look at him, we could say that that was the enemy doing that. But can the enemy do anything that God doesn't allow him to do? No. So nothing happens. Now, and you see, 
this is really where your theology either gets fuzzy or it gets rock solid. Right? Rock solid theology says, yeah, God's, able, God's big enough to take the blame for all of it and to have a reason for allowing all of it and to take and work good from all of it. Right? <laughs> he loves us. He knows what's best and he has the power to do it. You know what? He's, he's able to take all of it and work it out for good. Let me say this to you too. I mean, the one that kills me uh, with the Amalekites is the infants. Because it says infants. Okay? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, the infants that died in Amalek, what happened to them? Now, what would have happened to them if they'd grown up and become full-fledged Am- Amalekites? They would have grown up in the wickedness of Amalek and they would have gone into more wickedness. Right? So, do you know what? Mercy, love, judgment, and justice can all work together when you're God. And again, I'm just putting out a tiny little, a tiny little corner of something that we could look at and see. I'm not giving you the whole picture because I couldn't. Nobody can answer from God. It's, 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 it's futile for us to try and answer for God. We're always going to come up with lame answers. If he doesn't answer for himself, if he just says, this is what I wanted to do and this is what I did, then we have to say, okay, you're God. You have the right to do that. Aiden? I know. But that, but I mean, that is theological experience. Yeah. That is, yeah. the, you know, who, who God has done. Okay, let, let, let's talk about cancer now. Probably everybody in the room has been touched by cancer at some point or another. Right? You know, cancer is just kind of a plague uh, that's on our society. Um, we, first of all, we look at people, and we understand what this man is saying. She's a lovely person. She's never done anything wrong in her life. That's not true, though. Right? That's not true of any of us. That's, that's not ever, ever, ever true. All of us have sinned enough to deserve cancer. All of us. What we see is, and you see, we get confused. What we see is we see mercy in that we don't get judgment. So when we see mercy like that, what we think is we think, well, you know what? Uh, That's what we deserve. And how come this other person got cancer? They didn't deserve that. No, we all deserve. Because when Adam and Eve sinned, they deserved to die. All of us, that's the, the, the wages of sin is death. That, that's it. We, you know, the first sin you commit, if God were being holding, the, <coughs> holding us to book completely, we would die the first time we sin, but he doesn't because he shows mercy. Right? Do you ever think about it that the only reason any of us are alive in this world is because mercy? Mercy, that, it's mercy that has us alive. I mean, the only reason anybody got, gets saved is because of mercy. So we need we need to kind of turn the question on its end. Now you can't do that with an unsafe person. And you can't do that particularly with somebody who's grieving. It's not going to it's not going to help them. Uh, but in your own head, you need to understand that no, 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 nobody's innocent. Read the first three chapters of the Book of Romans. Therefore, there are you're without excuse, and we all are without excuse. We all deserve judgment and justice, but God in mercy, and then God in His mercy works justice and judgment in such a way that. <clears throat> He does things we don't understand. But he's still a God of justice and a God of love. He's still a God of mercy and a God of righteousness. 
And it's, <clears throat> look, I don't, don't want us to spend all night talking about it because, you know, at, in the end of it, you're not going to understand it. You know, you're not because you don't have a mind big enough. Because you don't understand enough. None of us do. There's no way we could understand all this. What we need to understand is he's God. Now, what does it mean to be God? Basically, when you say you're God, you say, I control it all, I own it all, and I'll do what I like with it all. Now, you don't like that, do you? (laughs) I don't like that. What are you going to do about it? Nothing. Because there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. It's just reality. That's just bare bones reality. He is God. He made it all. He owns it all. And he can do whatever he likes with it. And you don't have any say in it. That's just the way it is. You say, well, I don't want that. Like, I, I don't like that kind of a God. I don't want to be around him. What are you going to do? Stop breathing his air? There's nothing you can do about it. That's who he is. Now, he does reveal to us some things about himself that kind of temper it. Right? He's a God of love. Aren't you glad he's a God of love? You know, you know, of all the people in your life, if you could only understand it, the easiest one to please is God. It really is. He is the easiest one to please. God is not harsh, judgmental, and out to get you. That's not who he is. He loves you. In spite of the fact that he has the right to do whatever he likes with you, he loves you. And everything he does in your life is tempered by love. Everything. He never forgets his love. I, you know, he, he, he's all wise. Now, if you have somebody who loves you, and they're all wise, and they do something in your life, well, you might not like what they're doing in your life, but you know what? You really have reason to say, now, hang on a minute. He loves me, and he's all wise. He probably knows what he's doing. Even when what he's doing in your life is hard. He loves me and he's all wise, so he probably knows what he's doing. And then he's all powerful. He has the power to do it. Does God ever heal somebody from cancer? Does he heal everybody from cancer? No. He, he does heal some people. You know, some people, some people that, you know, baffle the doctors. They have cancer one day and then it's gone. Can God do that? Does he do it for everybody? No. Does he heal all Christians from cancer? No. So what's the criteria? I don't know. He didn't reveal it. You know, some, some would like to say, well, the people who have faith get healed. Well, that's ridiculous. Because none of us have that much faith. And if it's based on faith, then why is Paul dead? Because he had plenty of faith. You know, so, you know what? A lot of stuff we won't understand. We need to take the things we do understand. He is God. He can do what he likes. And even if you get that thought out of tonight, he is God and he can do what he likes and you really square off with that, you know what? It's a different world. If you live in a world, the world of a God who can do what he likes, it's a different world. You're not in charge and you never will be. And there's no way you could ever get enough money in the bank to be in charge. Because you've got God to deal with ultimately. He's in charge. He rules. He does what he wants And then if you take that God who can do what he likes and you bring into it the fact that he loves me, he knows what's best and he's powerful enough to do it. You know what? Now I'm getting happy. Because what he likes in my life is always good. Always good. I might not feel like it's good, but it's always good. He's always working out things uh, for good in my life. Now, Now what about lost people? How does God feel about lost people? They're bad, they're wicked, they're vile. No. He loves them. For God so loved the world. And God is working in lost people to draw them to himself. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants all people to be saved. The grace that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. God is at work all the time. You see, this God who's entitled to do whatever he likes... And those things that defy our sense of what he should do sometimes. It's also a God of love. He's always working in people's hearts and drawing people to himself. And you, but, you know, 
you can't make him this fuzzy God of love. And let's not think about those bad things about him that he does. No, because that's who he is just as much as being a God of love. You, you, can't, you can't cook God in half and kind of, you know, but you can't say, well, well, God has matured over the years and he's left behind his harsh ways because you're going to get a big fright one day when you see what he's going to do. And you're, go- you're going to be left in the place where you're saying, that's not the God I knew. No, no, this is God. This is who he is. All-powerful, almighty, and yet loving at the same time. Vincent? I mean, and, and, uh, yeah, that makes it harder. <laughs> you know, the fact that Israel were the people that wielded the swords, they're, they're the ones that did it. But, by the way, in all that Saul did, right? Saul is, Saul is brought to book. Why? why? Why does God bring Saul to book in this case? Because he didn't kill the sheep and the oxen. He is not brought to book for killing people. He's brought the book for not killing the sheep in the auction. You see, now here's the thing. Absolute authority gave to Saul a command to do something so that Saul could justifiably say on the authority that God had given him, he was doing it on God's behalf. And it, you know, that does make it look a little bit harder for us, but nonetheless, it's true. He was doing it on God's behalf. I <clears throat> Look, there's no way we're going to understand all of it. We're going to leave it and come back to Saul next week. But, and and I, I, I do not want you to go away thinking that God is, uh, is a monster. But I do need you to understand that we serve a God who is God. And he is not afraid to wear the badge. And he is not afraid to do whatever he thinks is best in the situation And he always will do what's best in the situation. But you can know this, that he loves you. And that he's going to work out things best for you. Even though they'll be hard. um, Any other questions? Then we're going to pray and we're going to be done. Father in heaven, would you bless us tonight, Lord? Lord, we need your help. We need you to help us understand you. You are indeed a great and mighty God. You are God and you have the power and Lord, we accept tonight that you have the power to do whatever you like in your world because you are God. Now, Lord, would you help us uh, to rest in the fact that even though that's true, you love us and you know what's best and you have the power to do anything and we can expect you and depend upon you to do good things in our lives. Now, Lord, would you bless us and help us as your people in Jesus' name, amen.